This is section 96 of Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a Biography, Volume 1, Part 2, 1866 to 1875. Chapter 96 The New Home. The Clemenses returned to Hartford to find their new house ready. Though still full of workmen, decorators, plumbers, and such other minions of labor as make life miserable to those with ambitions for new or improved habitations, the carpenters were still on the lower floor, but the family moved in and camped about in rooms upstairs that were more or less free from the invader. They had stopped in New York ten days to buy carpets and furnishings, and these began to arrive, with no particular place to put them but the owners were excited and happy with it all for it was the pleasant season of the year and all the new features of the house were fascinating while the daily progress of the decorators furnished a fresh surprise when they roamed through the rooms at evening mrs clemens wrote home we are perfectly delighted with everything here and do so want you all to see it her husband as he was likely to do picked up the letter and finished it livy appoints me to finish this but how can a headless man perform an intelligent function i have been bully-ragged all day by the builder by his foreman by the architect by the tapestry devil who is to upholster the furniture by the idiot who is putting down the carpets, by the scoundrel who is setting up the billiard-table, and has left the balls in New York, by the wildcat who is sodding the ground and finishing the driveway after the sun went down, by a book-agent whose body is in the back yard and the coroner notified just think of this thing going on the whole day long and i a man who loathes details with all his heart but i haven't lost my temper and i've made livy lie down most of the time could anybody make her lie down all the time Warner wrote from Egypt expressing sympathy for their unfurnished state of affairs, but added, I would rather fit out three houses and fill them with furniture than to fit out one dahabieh. Warner was at that moment undertaking his charmingly remembered trip up the Nile. The new home was not entirely done for a long time. One never knows when a big house like that, or a little house for that matter, is done but they were settled at last with all their beautiful things in place and perhaps there have been richer homes possibly more artistic ones but there has never been a more charming home within or without than that one so many frequenters have tried to express the charm of that household none of them has quite succeeded for it lay not so much in its arrangement of rooms or their decorations or their outlook though these were all beautiful enough, but rather in the personality, the atmosphere, and these are elusive things to convey in words. We can only see and feel and recognize, we cannot translate them. Even Howells, with his subtle touch,
can present only an aspect here and there, an essence, as it were, from a happy garden, rather than the fullness of its bloom. As Mark Twain was unlike any other man that ever lived, so his house was unlike any other house ever built. People asked him why he built the kitchen toward the street, and he said, So the servants can see the circus go by without running out into the front yard. But this was probably an afterthought. The kitchen end of the house extended toward Farmington Avenue, but it was by no means unbeautiful. It was a pleasing detail of the general scheme. The main entrance faced at right angles with the street and opened to a spacious hall. In turn, the hall opened to a parlor, where there was a grand piano, and to the dining room and library, and the library opened to a little conservatory, semicircular in form, of a design invented by Harriet Beecher Stowe says howells the plants were set in the ground and the flowering vines climbed up the sides and overhung the roof above the silent spray of the fountain accompanied by callus and other water-loving lilies there while we breakfast patrick came in from the barn and sprinkled the pretty bower which poured out its responsive perfume in the delicate accents of its varied blossoms in the library was an old carved mantel which clemens and his wife had bought in scotland salvage from a dismantled castle and across the top of the fireplace a plate of brass with the motto the ornament of a house is the friends that frequent it surely never more appropriately inscribed there was the mahogany room a large bedroom on the ground floor and upstairs were other spacious bedrooms and many baths while everywhere were oriental rugs and draperies and statuary and paintings there was a fireplace under a window after the english pattern so that in winter time one could at the same moment watch the blaze and the falling snow the library windows looked out over the valley with the little stream in it and through and across the treetops at the top of the house was what became clemens favorite retreat the billiard room and here and there were unexpected little balconies, which one could step out upon for the view. Below was a wide covered veranda, the ombra, as they called it, secluded from the public eye, a favorite family gathering place on pleasant days. But a house might easily have all these things without being more than usually attractive, and a house with a great deal less might have been as full of charm only it seemed just the proper setting for that particular household, and undoubtedly it acquired the personality of its occupants. Howells assures us that there never was another home like it, and we may accept his statement. It was unique. It was the home of one of the most unusual and unaccountable personalities in the world, yet was perfectly and serenely ordered. Mark Twain was not responsible for this blissful condition, he was its beacon-light. It was around Mrs. Clemens that its affairs steadily revolved. If in the four years and more of marriage Clemens had made advancement in culture and capabilities, Olivia Clemens also had become something more than the half-timid, inexperienced girl he had first known. In a way her education had been no less notable than his. She had worked and studied and her half-year of travel and entertainment abroad had given her 
opportunity for acquiring knowledge and confidence her vision of life had vastly enlarged her intellect had flowered her grasp of practicalities had become firm and sure in spite of her delicate physical structure her continued uncertainty of health she capably undertook the management of their large new house and supervised its economies any one of her undertakings was sufficient for one woman but she compassed them all no children had more careful direction than hers no husband had more devoted attendance and companionship no household was ever directed with a sweeter and gentler grace or with greater perfection of detail when the great ones of the world came to visit america's most picturesque literary figure she gave welcome to them all and filled her place at his side with such sweet and capable dignity that those who came to pay their duties to him often returned to pay even greater devotion to his companion says howells she was in a way the loveliest person i have ever seen the gentlest the kindest without a touch of weakness she united wonderful tact with wonderful truth and clemens not only accepted her rule implicitly but he rejoiced he gloried in it and once in an interview with the writer of these chapters howells declared she was not only a beautiful soul but a woman of singular intellectual power i never knew anyone quite like her then he added words cannot express mrs clemens her fineness her delicate her wonderful tact with a man who was in some respects and wished to be the most outrageous creature that ever breathed howells meant a good many things by that no doubt clemens violent methods for one thing his sudden savage impulses which sometimes worked injustice and hardship for others though he was first to discover the wrong and to repair it only too fully then too howells may have meant his boyish teasing tendency to disturb mrs clemens's exquisite sense of decorum once i remember seeing him come into the drawing-room at hartford in a pair of white cowskin slippers with the hair out and do a crippled colored uncle to the joy of all beholders i must not say all for i remember also the dismay of mrs clemens and her low despairing cry of oh youth he was continually doing such things as the crippled colored uncle partly for the very joy of the performance but partly too to disturb her serenity to incur her reproof to shiver a little shock would be too strong a word and he liked to fancy her in a spirit and attitude of belligerence to present that fancy to those who knew the measure of her gentle nature writing to mrs howells of a picture of herself in a group he said you look exactly as mrs clemens does after she has said indeed i do not wonder that you can frame no reply for you know only too well that your conduct admits of no excuse palliation or argument none clemens would pretend to a visitor that she had been violently indignant over some offense of his perhaps he would say well i contradicted her just now and the crockery will begin to fly pretty soon she could never quite get used to this pleasantry 
and a faint glow would steal over her face. He liked to produce that glow. Yet always his manner toward her was tenderness itself. He regarded her as some dainty bit of porcelain, and it was said that he was always following her about with a chair. Their union has been regarded as ideal. That is Twitchell's opinion, and Howell's. The latter sums up. Marriages are what the parties to them alone really know them to be, but from the outside I should say that this marriage was one of the most perfect. End of chapter 96 The New Home Read by John Greenman